To the on the brink podcast this is season four the second episode here i am really excited to again be recording in person which is crazy um but again we're doing in-person episodes with vaccinated people so my guest today is vaccinated i hope that's okay to say and <laughs> didn't even ask um <laughs> but i'm really excited to have him on um his name is andrew we go way back. I think I've known Andrew my entire life, pretty much. Um, our moms are very good friends. And so I'm pretty sure we've known each other literally since we were born, um, which is crazy to think about. And fun fact, Andrew and I went to prom together. Andrew was homeschooled, and I went to Bennett and didn't have a prom date, and Andrew graciously went to prom with me. So we really go way back. Um, and now we actually work together. And so it's just all coming full circle, and I'm really excited to have him on. Uh, the reason that I'm bringing Andrew on is because he is a bowler, which is so interesting to me. Uh, I don't even know completely enough about bowling, so this is going to be a learning experience for me, too. Uh, and I'm, again, just excited to have him on. So welcome to the pod, Andrew. Thank you. Uh, I'm Andrew. I've lived in so many different places at this point, too, between living in uh, Chicago suburbs, Portland, Oregon, uh, Indiana for a little bit, and then now being near Madison, Wisconsin, like, I'm just from all over, so. Yeah, you have been all over, and when I knew you, like, when we were younger, living in Portland, like, you were so far away, so we didn't really see each other a whole lot, um, and then you did move, was it to Indiana first? Yeah, I went to Indiana for school first, like Northwest Indiana, like literally if you crossed over the border to Indiana, I lived five minutes down the road, which is like 25 minutes from the loop in Chicago. Yeah. So you weren't so, too far from here. Yeah. And then transferred, right? To mm, I transferred Wisconsin. after my sophomore year to uh, UW-Whitewater. Uh, great experience while I was there. Wouldn't give it for anything else. I was fortunate my parents had actually moved to Wisconsin, so I was able to get in-state tuition out of it, too. So it was a win-win for me. Nice, nice. So you are a bowler. Yes. That is, that is very <laughs> unique. I often get that, like, my career path and my, um, like, singing is very unique, but I think that bowling is something that you don't hear about, like, nearly as often at all. So tell us a little bit about your bowling career, how you got into bowling, uh, like how did you first start? Yeah, so like I, being homeschooled, like I didn't know, I went through tons of sports, didn't like anything I did. I did karate, I did gymnastics, swimming, basketball, didn't enjoy any of it. I didn't even, I don't think I finished a full season worth of anything that I did <laughs> sports-wise. I may have finished basketball for the season, but I only did it for, like, one season. That was it. And it was like, yeah, no. <laughs> Threw that off to the side. I, I had a birthday party with some uh, friends that I used to have from school from, like, when I was in first and second grade when I was 10 years old. So I think that's, what, like, fourth grade? 
fifth grade, something Probably like that. Probably something like that, yeah. Not really thinking about numbers right <laughs> now. But I had a birthday party, invited a bunch of people, um, had a great time. And I guess I'm now looking back after being in school, bowling centers have great marketing techniques for that. They send out postcards, like after like six, seven months, saying, hey, league seasons are starting, and it's got like a whole bunch of stuff on it, like informational things, different types of leagues. What's some of them offer? Well, introduction leagues sometimes offer free bowling balls. And my parents asked me, hey, like, would you want to try bowling? And I'm like, why? And then my mom was like, oh, well, this one, you get a free bowling ball. And me, I was like, well, how cool would that be? I have my own bowling ball. It's like <laughs> something nobody else would have, right? Because you go to the bowling alley, they've got the house balls where it's, okay, which one fits me? What's the right weight? You go from there. And I'm like, I have my own one. And it was cool colors. I can even remember my first ball. It was black, red, and gold. And it was it was really shiny. I was like, it was awesome. But that's how I got into it. Um, I never would have thought that it would have stuck with me of all sports. I enjoyed it. And it was fun. And just somehow I pro- kept progressing and getting better. I think within a year and a half of bowling, I met my one of my closer friends. Her name's Natalie. Um, I met her through bowling because I had gotten better and like my average had skyrocketed from, I think it was like a 60 something all the way up to a 130 within a year, which was huge for especially a younger kid. I started like to kind of back up a little bit with bowling because most kids that become competitive bowlers start when they're like four or five. I didn't start until I was 11. So I had a late start. Whoa. But just I enjoyed it and I wanted to be be better. And so I got invited to bowl in leagues that technically were out of my age requirement because of how high my average had gotten. So I got invited to bowl in leagues that were more competitive. And then from there, like, I was introduced to many other tournaments that, you know, I didn't realize how big tournaments were bowling. And then on top of that... They're great, especially for youth, because they offer scholarship money when you win and, like, you do things. And that's important, especially at a young age, because you can start saving that scholarship money up for God knows how long. And then by the time you go to school, you can help pay for, like, books, tuition. It's really a fantastic way for uh, kids especially to try and better themselves because it gives those Mm -hmm. extra opportunities as well that I know some other sports don't necessarily give at least until you get to that point where you're ready to go to college and like, oh, you're in football. Oh, you're a fantastic football player in your high school. We'll give you $40,000 to come to school here. It's a little different because then that's another story we'll get to a little bit later in the podcast regarding college, how that mm. works. But, um, yeah, so that's how I got into bowling. Wow. Okay, that's very interesting. Now, was that in Illinois to start? No, I started in Portland. That was in Portland. We yeah. Okay. And now is like the Portland bowling scene, is that like a big thing to be part of? Or is it the same like from there to here? Just curious. It's kind of the same. I would say as a whole, bowling on the West Coast is a little bit different. Uh, there's a lot more people that just go and bowl recreationally on the West Coast. The West Coast is a little bit different compared to the Midwest. I, I I like the West Coast. I don't like everything about it, but they they do a lot of things out there that I think are more futuristic, and they're trying to plan long-term. Mm. For example, there's multiple bowling centers out there that have full arcades in there that are larger than Chuck E. Cheese. 
like we're talking about going into like a giant Dave and Buster's with like hundreds of arcade games, full on redemption rooms where they've got like Playstations and their Xboxes for ticket values, like, and they've got like a full restaurant on top of that inside the bowling center Mm -hmm. and just a whole bunch of things to offer. It's like a whole atmosphere when you walk into bowling centers on the West Coast. Now, a lot of them have started closing the older ones because they haven't kept up with it because the business is changing with bowling centers to begin with. But on the in here in the Midwest, not a lot of places, especially in the Chicagoland area, have really changed into that model. And some of them are really struggling bad. You you walk into a bowling center, you can kind of tell like what they're going through. You know, you see some dust on the floor, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just not not as well kept some of the bowling centers. So gotcha. you notice those things, but that's something that I noticed on the West Coast, it's been like that for, God, it has to be like almost 15 years it's been that way with bowling centers. Like probably within three years of me bowling, there were a bunch of bowling centers that started doing that. And out here, they're just now starting to do that. So Mm -hmm. just a little bit behind the ball, I think, with that. That's the main difference. There's a lot more recreational Hmm. on the West Coast. Yeah, interesting. I had no idea. Mm. So, okay, so you did the bowling when you were a kid then, and yeah. then you decided you wanted to pursue that in college, right? Yeah. So, who would have ever thought that you, college had bowling teams? I had no clue. Yeah, no and clue. It, it gets a little strange, especially with it, because it's uh, a little bit of Title IX included. Um, so, Title IX basically is equal opportunities in college, college level. So, uh-huh. basically, they say... For everything that you offer for a men's program, there has to be equal opportunity for women. Mm -hmm. So, for example, almost all men's bowling is actually not funded by uh, schools if it's an NCAA school. They're considered clubs at that point. Now, Mm -hmm. there are schools that are sanctioned differently where they have full funding. And then sometimes, depending on the program level and how competitive they are, they still get funding. Like a school like, I believe, Wichita State has a lot of their schools funded. I could be wrong, so please don't quote me on that. But I do know, and especially the first college I went to was a fully funded program. The only thing that we paid for was the tips when we went out to eat. Food was paid for, hotel. Some of our bowling stuff was paid for, our jerseys, our practice was paid for. For the most part, like everything was basically paid for. But um, on the women's side, it people would never know that women's bowling is actually like huge at the collegiate level. Mm-hmm. Um, they they actually they they'll give a lot of money to like bowlers who are maybe not their best, but are easily like they see the potential and they can be coachable in development. You know. Um, one person I know really well, she had a very large scholarship to go to Nebraska, which was one of the top bowling schools in the country. Mm-hmm. As well as I know a few people that go to Vanderbilt that have really nice scholarship money that they're getting from it. Interesting. So Now, the first school you went to, mm-hmm. was that a big bowling program? So, super small school. They didn't have a football team at all there, which I believe they're actually in the process of trying to put one together from what I, I've mm-hmm. gathered. I could be wrong on but the, basically the bowling team was the football team at the school, <laughs> wow. which is kind of weird to think about. Yeah. But everybody knew the bowlers because they were um, a younger program in terms of their how long they've been in college bowling. 
I think by the time I had gotten there, it was they were on their 11th or 12th year that they had a program there. And they, they had not missed making nationals, not one year. Wow. And the way that nationals works is uh, it's broken up into four sections, and they take the top four teams from the men's side and the women's side at each section. So there's 16 total men's teams and 16 women's teams. They hadn't missed nationals ever in their entire program's existence. Wow. And I think to this day, they still have not missed it. It's still a phenomenal program, but... That's it's recognized, and I think their fourth or fifth year that they had a program, I can't remember exactly what years they made it uh, to all the way to the TV show for the finals for uh, the intercollegiate team championships. Which TV is show a, meaning they on broadcast. Yes. Oh my goodness! ESPN. They, so they broadcast the finals. Mm-hmm. Only the finals Only are broadcast the- on national TV, and it's a little different format when you get to postseason. It's much different than it is the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, college, they offer tons of like scholarships to bowlers. Um, it's a great opportunity for especially people who you know, didn't think that they would go to college. I never would have thought that I would have had the opportunity to go to college on a scholarship, especially for bowling, of mm-hmm. all things. So it was a fantastic opportunity for me. And that actually helped me to get my foot in the door by having that so because money money was money's always tight for people sometimes in college yeah. is cheap no so it's no. definitely a fantastic opportunity yeah you know yeah i had no idea that yeah. you could like get scholarships mm-hmm. for college that's that's amazing um then when you transferred mm-hmm. did that like did you get a scholarship to transfer no scholarship but the difference was uh the difference, I, I wasn't paying all the money out of pocket at my first school. I got a portion of my tuition paid for. Mm-hmm. But still, when I transferred, the tuition was still cheaper than the difference I was paying. I think when I transferred, I don't even remember how much I paid a year, but it was like next to nothing. Uh, for mo- Compared to most schools, at least that is for in-state tuition. I think it was under 10000 a year wow. uh, for in-state tuition. So, like... That to me was it was a better opportunity, and not only that, I I've always wanted to be involved in business, and they had one of the top rated business programs in the country, um, so that was a huge opportunity for me. I had the opportunity to go to UW Madison, the big the Big Ten school. <laughs> I decided not to because I wanted to do business, and out of all the UW schools, the I don't know what the accreditation is called at Whitewater, but. It's the same accreditation that Harvard has for its business school. Wow. I think there's only 100 schools in the country that have the accreditation. I could be wrong. Um, But Madison didn't have that for their business program. So I chose to go to UW-Whitewater. And they happened to have a very strong bowling team there, so I was able to continue my program while I was there. Nice. Now, do you have to try out? For the bowling team, do you have to, like, what What does that look like? It really depends where you go, because it depends on how many people they draw to their program. When I was at uh, Calumet College St. Joseph in Indiana, there was tryouts, but basically those tryouts were to see where you fit in the field. Now, they were, my freshman year, extremely extensive and lengthy tryouts. I... I remember it being like 70-something games my freshman year. 
that we had to bowl. Not in one day, but yeah. like that's how long it was. They were like a month and a half long. Oh, we would have some days we'd bowl four games, which that had to do because of class schedules. And then Fridays, because we never had school, were always the super long days where it would be like between six and eight games that you would bowl in that day. So um, that was that. And I think... Uh, USBC, who's the governing body for like all bowling in the in the United States, they uh, they say for college bowling your roster can only be X, which I think is twenty six people maximum. Mm. It might be twenty four. I'm trying to remember. I feel like it's twenty six though because it gave the opportunity for three teams to travel and then basically two alternates. Um. And it, we, my freshman year, I think we only had like 28 or 29 people when I was at County Met College of St. Joseph tryout. Now, my, when I was coaching my, because I actually coached my third year of college, because there's a whole rule of redshirting. You have to redshirt if you basically bowled the prior year. When you made that transfer, you had to sit out a year, is basically what it came out oh. to. So I sat out my junior year. When you transferred. When I transferred. I took a lighter course load, too, to kind of offset things. And then I could really get acclimated to the environment while I was there. So I I actually coached collegiately for a year. Hmm. Um, Way different outlook being on the other side of the clipboard. That is for sure. Um, But uh, I think that year we had, I think, around 35 people try out. So there were people that definitely got cut. Because it came down to a numbers thing when there were more people trying out. Mm-hmm. You had to see what the best opportunities were. So, wow. Do they take it by the numbers? Like who bowls the best? It's a combination, usually at most schools, because just because somebody isn't performing at their best at that given point in time doesn't mean that they don't have the potential. Mm-hmm. So there's been times where some more controversial things will happen where somebody will actually bowl better and they'll take somebody below them over them on the team but that's partly what they would call the eyeball test is just seeing the opportunity and the development that can happen for that player usually that ends up paying off sometimes because that person has the drive and the determination to get better so you see a lot more results out of it Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing against those players that don't end up making the team because they're still phenomenal players, but it's just that's how the coaches see it, you gotcha. know, from the coach's perspective. And it's it's not an easy decision. Yeah. Because especially this is a decision that you live with between uh, September and April because that's how long wow. the college bowling season is. It, it's long. Can you be put on, like, the – I don't even know. See, I didn't play sports, so, like, yeah. on, like, the bench. Like, can you, like – be an alternate or so or is it like you make the team or you don't make the team it's basically you make the team or you don't make the team and then it comes down to the um the coaches like when they travel to tournaments obviously a varsity team will all travel to to every tournament they do it comes down to if the if there's opportunity for a jv team to travel as well um in some cases for us when i was at whitewater um, we, we had our own conference that we bowled in up there, which was a lot of like the Wisconsin schools, some Minnesota schools, and then like the Rockford schools as well as like, um, Freeport. So those schools, we all kind of like competed against each other and we had like a series of like, uh, events we would do and it was always the same teams at every event. When we went to those, we would have all three teams travel. So 
uh, a varsity, a JV one, and a JV two. Um, now the JV teams were not necessarily built the rosters based on your talent levels. Sometimes they were actually um, the way that they would be drafted is like a snake draft. You know, like if you were playing dodgeball, you get the first pick. Since you got your first choice, that means I get to pick the next two people. After I pick that, it goes back to you pick two people, right? So it's 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 a snake draft back and forth. So the teams were actually usually very balanced based on what the coaches wanted for their teams because they were given the opportunity to choose who they wanted. So it had nothing to do with the talent level as to what team you were on. It just mattered what who you had coaching you. That's interesting. Yeah, and not every school is like that. There's a lot of schools where they will do it purely based on statistics and numbers. So the varsity is the best uh, eight players that they've got, um, which it gets a little a little weird. I'll, I'll jump into that a little bit uh, with how the, the lineups and how the rosters work. The JV would have the next eight players, which were kind of in the middle of the group. And then the JV two would basically be the developmental team, the people that wouldn't be as good at a, a great large portion of schools. Um, now the rosters get a little complicated because you can only have five people bowling at once. So kind of like basketball, if they make the decision to pull you out of the lineup, they can substitute somebody in, right? Now when they substitute somebody in, they don't get a fresh score. So if I'm not bowling well, and they say, hey, Emily, go hop in there for Andrew. You're finishing my game. Whoa, so that means that your, my, the numbers that are up there previous to where you've been are the numbers that I've all shot. And then from there, it's not like noted anywhere that this is who it is other than on a score sheet said, hey, this person was subbed in. Because what happens is when somebody gets subbed in, that person who got pulled out cannot go back into the lineup until the next game. They're, they're done for the game. That's it. So... If somebody's struggling and they have, like, let's say four opens in a row, which is like no spares, no strikes for the first four frames, chances are if you're throwing bad shots, you're going to find your way onto the bench and somebody else is going to come in and try and fix that for you. You know, and that's not to try and demoralize you by you going on the bench, but it's you got to take one for the team and realize mm-hmm. it's what's best in that opportunity. Some people struggle to see that and it's frustrating in the moment because I've been there. It is very frustrating sometimes when you find your way out of the lineup. But that also is like, hey, it helps you get refocused, realize what you need to do when you get back out there and when you're given the opportunity. So that's how come there's like eight people. Very rarely, and this has only happened a couple times when I bowled collegiately, has the whole lineup flipped mid-game. Very rarely has that happened where the three people that were on the bench found their way into the lineup in Mm -hmm. one game, that is. Um, and then the way the substitutions work from there, if you decide not to make any, in the 10th frame, you can only sub one, substitute one person in the 10th frame. So you know if you get like the first strike in the 10th frame, you get two more shots, right? Mm-hmm. You can't sub in two people for one person's game. So okay. most of the time what most college teams will do is they'll allow the person in the line to do the first two shots in the 10th frame, assuming that they struck on the first shot and the second shot, or at least they struck on the first shot. Or, worst case, they got a spare. And just that final shot that would be thrown, they would substitute somebody in to see what their opportunities are. What do they have to offer? Like, hey, um, in some cases, it was you know kind of a little bit of strategy because what we would do is we would have somebody go in the lineup, and it was just basically you have to make the best possible shot you can. 
This is what we're going to ask you to do. And we need you to stand in this specific spot and look at the, try and hit this spot on the lane. Sometimes it wasn't even to try and necessarily get them in the lineup because it's a team effort. So what we would do is we'd be testing the waters for later in the day. What are we going to be looking at? Because uh, the conditions are, uh, change with bowling. It's kind of like golf a little bit um, with what you go through, but it's an in, invisible obstacle course when you're bowling because they put oil on the lane and they can change the way that the oil is shaped, where it's concentrated more and everything like that. They can put more oil further down lane than in the front part of lane, which affects the way that the bowling balls roll. Oh my gosh. So it gets extremely complex. So with college, what they're trying to do sometimes with substitutes is see, hey, we need you to test this spot for us. Just execute as good of a shot. Because also at that point, if you execute a good shot, but you don't get a good result, that means that you, you're, you're, you're good. As long as you can hit the targets we're asking and you're doing the right thing, that's fantastic. And sometimes you can earn your way into the lineup doing that and not even getting close to the, the, the lead pin, the front pin. So it, it is a little different, but there's definitely strategy that goes into it. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't think, if I had to guess, I don't think a lot of my listeners would know a lot about that. Like, I didn't realize, like, the oil was different. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm learning new things today, for sure. That's mm-hmm. 100%. Um, yeah, that's, I'm just, like, wrapping my head around this because I had no idea. Yeah. Also... The fact that, like, I never thought of bowling as, like, a team sport where someone can come in and, like, save mm-hmm. you or help you or whatever. Um, that's probably not how you think of it, but, like, it's... <laughs> in the moment, you don't think of it that way. No, you think no. It's just frustration and anger. Yeah, moment. yeah. But it's, but. like, it is more of a team sport, and I always mm-hmm. thought of it more as, like, just you as an individual, but you are on a team, so mm-hmm. it's, like, interesting. Um, and I'm not even someone, like I said, I didn't play sports, so yeah. I don't really, you know, know much yeah. about any sport, but, um, but that's really interesting because I always thought of bowling as more individualistic. Yeah. Now outside of college, bowling is very individualistic. Okay. That's what it's I want to... It's mostly at the collegiate level. Yeah. Because they're trying to get you, which also college bowling isn't necessarily for everyone. There are some people that benefit very greatly from going to college bowling, but then there's some individuals that don't. Sometimes you go into college with like a lot of knowledge. And at that point, sometimes you don't learn anything when you get to college. Because a lot of kids get better when they go to college. Because there's more opportunities. The college coaches have seen what works, what doesn't work. They've had great players come in and out. They've developed fantastic players. So usually when a bowler goes to college, they usually come out being a lot better as a player. And more versatile where they can make those adjustments and be an all-around mm-hmm. great bowler rather than, oh, well, I can really only hook the ball. I can really only stand all the way to the left and throw it at the right gutter. Mm-hmm. So it's making an all-around great player. But like I said, not everybody benefits from it. You know, I learned some things when I was in college, but I went into college with a lot of knowledge. So for me, not all the knowledge was beneficial because I already knew a lot of stuff about the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a player who's just like a high school bowler who doesn't know anything, it's, it's fantastic that they get that development. Mm -hmm. So, but like I said, outside of college bowling, it's extremely individualistic. There are team events. There's less team events than there are individual events though. Mm -hmm. So, so are you currently bowling and what does pro, is it called pro bowling? I don't even know. Yeah. Professional. Professional bowling. Okay. So are you... 
professional bowler? Are you on the track to be that way? Um, like, what what does that... I have so many questions. No worries. But, um, yeah, why don't you explain a little yeah, bit? Yeah, so I'm not a professional bowler currently. Um, there are requirements that they have to be considered professional, as well as you have to pay a membership to ba- mm-hmm. get, basically get your little profession. It's called the PBA, Professional Bowlers Association, mm-hmm. a card. Um, which allows you to like bowl in their events. Um, basically, as an amateur, you can bowl in professional events that are open to amateurs. But the way that they limit that is you're allowed to, it's called cashing. Basically, you make it at the point where they pay out money. You're allowed to only cash twice. Mm-hmm. After you cash twice, you're required to buy your PBA card to continue bowling in the tour events. If you don't cash though, you can technically bowl as many events as you want as, a, as an amateur. It is more expensive because they do give a discount to the player, the professionals that do it. And so that's kind of how professional works. Um, I have never bowled an actual PBA event myself. I've competed against a lot of them. Um, <laughs> pardon me. A lot of the bowlers that are the younger p- players on tour, I know a lot of them really well. And the guys that are making on TV shows and getting a lot of publicity, I, I grew up bowling against them. Wow. Uh, the baseball game that I went to yesterday was uh, bowler's night at the White Sox. And the person that threw the opening pitch, um, his name is Chris Fye. Um, I met him through my coach. He just won the U.S. Open this year, which is one of the most prestigious professional bowling events. It's a major Kind of like how there's the majors with golf and um, tennis. It's one of the most prestigious events to win. Because it's very challenging, grueling, and it's an endurance race, basically. Um, he won that as well as you know, he went on to win uh, the all-events title at a tournament called Open Championships. Um, which is like a national bowling event that goes on from normally like March all the way till July. And so... Basically, daily, they've got a whole bunch of bowlers that come in. They end up with, like, 20-something thousand people bowling the event. And basically, at the end of the event, there's, like, a leaderboard, and from there, they pay out a certain amount of people. Well, he led all events with some absurd numbers this year. I He shot, like, 2,100 for all events, which, if you were to divide that um, by three somewhere around like 700 something series is set. I don't recall what the exact number was, but I remember he went like eight something, 800 with some change in there, obviously. 700 series and 700 series, which were huge numbers. It's like a 230, 240 average, just about. Um, And this is out of 300? Out of 300 pins, correct. Okay, okay, we're just, I do know that 300 is a perfect game, right? Yes. (laughs) That's Um, all I know. And so, he put really great numbers up there, had a phenomenal week, and I think it was actually one of the last days of the event that it was running. So to go out there for him especially and do that the last day, especially like when you know what all the numbers are, there's a lot of pressure on that. So it's phenomenal that he did that. He's a great guy, but as I had my girlfriend sitting next to me, we were in the baseball game, I was like, I know him. I was his roommate when he stayed at Wells. <laughs> like he's a he's a fantastic guy. Wow. So, but it was just one of those things like to know people yeah. that are doing well on tour. 
So do you aspire? I I do. It's it's, it's been a long road for me. I've had some decisions to make. Uh, I've had personally throughout my bowling career, I've struggled a lot mentally being strong and being able to put things aside, frustrations over the years and just keep a clear head and know what I want to do, especially while I'm bowling because sometimes I'll throw a bad shot and that bat shot lingers in the back of my head. And so I now am worrying. Even though if I've been bowling well all day, that shot is still sitting there in my memory. And I'm like, well, am I going to do that again? Mm-hmm. So that's something I struggled with for a long time. And I think I'm at the point more mentally now where I need to be. And I've talked with my, uh, my coach, who also is the guy that drills my bowling balls, I've had some conversations with him and, you know, I told him, I think, especially after we bowled open championships this year and I saw the success that I had out there at that event, I told him, you know, I think that's something I would would like to consider trying is going out there and bowling on tour and seeing what happens. I think I'm a little bit closer to being ready. I got to do some more stuff before I'm completely ready to go out there, get my card and compete against them because I need to be on my toes for when I compete against those guys. Mm-hmm. They go out there and they have big numbers all the time. It's not they're like they're shooting 300 all the time. That's not something that's a normal occurrence yeah. for people. But like a tournament winner can easily average 240 for the entire tournament, which can end up being 35, 36 games potentially. Who knows? Wow. So they're long blocks. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it's it's definitely something that's that's a lot of pins to put up for 30-something games. Or even at the U.S. Open, it's like 50 games that you bowl a qualifying before you get to the TV show in the finals. Wow. So doing that for 50 games is definitely challenging. Mm-hmm. So I got to make sure. I personally have not bowled since May when we came back from uh, Open Championships. Now, part of that's due to the fact that I got a new job, um, especially working at the bowling center because I work at a pro shop part-time with my coach. Now, he's been out of town a lot over the summer. COVID has really affected a lot of the tournament schedules. Uh, He coaches quite a few players out on the PWBA as well as youth bowlers. And unfortunately, a lot of those tournaments overlapped each other between weekends. So he was gone for like a month and a half at one point. So I was the only person running the pro shop. And when that happened, I just, I didn't get any bowling in because I was busy working constantly. So right. it's one of those things, like, it also gave me the opportunity to take a break from it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think I'm ready to get back out there and start bowling again, though. Um, I talked about drilling a couple balls this upcoming week in bowling here soon, just with a couple balls that I was going to drill in the pro shop for myself, just so I can at least get out there. I leave my shoes and everything at the bowling center, so that way when I walk in, if I decide to bowl... You're just, ready. Yeah, just, <laughs> just put them right on. That way I don't have to go home and grab them. Yeah, yeah. I just leave it there, so. But, yeah, that's, it's definitely an aspiration that I have. Nice, so. nice. Yeah, it sounds like it takes a lot of mental energy to be ready a for lot. something like that. Um, yeah, and just be, like, yeah, back on your game and and then mentally ready. So, I, mm-hmm. to- I totally get it. Singing is, is similar and yeah. you have to, like, mentally prepare, like, when you're giving a recital, it's like you can't just like after months just suddenly like get up on stage and like you have to review your translations mm-hmm. and you have to like be
be ready to, it's like a marathon. It's like, yeah. instead of bowling however many games, you're singing however many songs. So mm. it's, yeah, I can totally relate um, in a very different way. But yeah, but yeah it's very, mentally taxing. Very so. similar there. And I think that goes for like most sports and activities, things that you enjoy that you're going to be doing something like that or like mm-hmm. a performance especially. Yeah. Because you don't want to be that person that gets talked about. No. You don't. No, you don't. I mean, look at the people that have uh, sang the national anthem at the Super Bowl and messed it up. Those are people that nobody forgets. Right. So you don't want to be that person, so. Yeah, true. But speaking of the national anthem, you do have a funny story. (laughs) I do. I do want to end the pod with, with your funny story because... Listeners know I love sharing stories, so let's hear this um, okay. entertaining bowling story about the National Anthem. So obviously everybody knows when you go to college, there's a lot of drinking that goes on. Um, Good my, my teammates, Good my senior, <laughs> My teammates, my senior year, we decided, we picked a weekend or a day that we didn't have school. I don't remember what day it was. It was actually like in November. It must have been like a just a day where we didn't have classes. It was in the middle, or I think maybe it was like a Thursday, something. Because I remember none of us had classes on Friday, basically. And we set our schedules up that way because when we traveled, usually we traveled on a Friday in the morning. So that way we didn't miss classes. Mm-hmm. Some people would have to go to class still, but we would usually end up waiting. But then the majority of people didn't have to worry about scheduling conflicts. We were always ready to go. So Thursday, don't remember when it happened. <laughs> We decided to do basically a beer Olympics, but it was a case race. We went to teams of two, and our goal was to see who could finish the case of beer the fastest. Now, we were drinking 30 packs (laughs) to put case into perspective. So we went to teams, and somebody had a great idea. It was one of the captains. He said, um, actually, his name was uh, Alec Carr. He told me, hey, you should bring your guitar over and, like, play some music beforehand. And I had this this goofy idea that, oh, my gosh, I'll play the national anthem before we start, and it'll be, like, official, basically, that we're doing, like, an Olympic-style thing mm-hmm. or an event. So <laughs> um, they we all had our cases of beer. We put it in front of the cooler, which was, like, my little, like, kickstand that I put my leg up on. And I played the National Anthem to, like, kick it off on my little amplifier. Uh, Everybody ended up recording it when it happened. Probably the best National Anthem I've ever played start to finish. Um, One of the girls that was on the girls' team that was over there, she actually sent it to our local bar stool in Whitewater. And didn't think it was going to get published, and it did. And within a matter of probably an hour and a half of it getting posted, I started getting text messages on my phone about it. Cause, and I had no clue what was going on because nobody told me anything. Um, I was also a little bit out of it at that point because um, we, we had to get like two and a half hours into our case race. Um, <laughs> but uh, I got a whole bunch of text messages. Somebody pulled it up on their phone and they showed it to me. And I was like, that's crazy. And at that point, when it had only been online for like an hour, it had like 4,000 views on it, 1,200 likes at that point. By the end of the evening, it had like 9,000 views. I think the last time I checked, it had like 3,000 likes on it. And it was like something that I wasn't expecting. Um, local bars that I like went to, 
Uh, I had a couple of them reach out to me and ask me to actually play at the bars, <laughs> but that's not the crazy thing that happened. Some of the players and the captains reached out to our head coach. Now, mind you, we were a little intoxicated at this point. Um, and they said, hey, like, for our home tournament, you should let Andrew play the national anthem. There was a whole bunch of talk about it, you know, and it, I didn't, I knew that players had been asking about it. I never physically brought it or like formally yeah. brought it up to him. It ended up coming out, I think, at one of our practices. And he asked me, are you actually serious about this? I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, if that's an opportunity, like, I'd love to have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. So he sent like a coach's poll out to all the coaches that were bowling the event, asking them, hey, we have a player that would be, uh, that knows how to play the national anthem. We're interested in letting him play it before the event starts. Is this something that would be okay with you? And I think everybody said yes, that it was fine. So I had like three weeks to prepare. And I did it mostly over Thanksgiving break because our tournament was uh, the beginning of December. Like beginning, first or second week of December. And I had been practicing, trying to get it all down. Um, Now we get there. We've never had a huge turnout for this event. Usually the most amount of teams that we've had is 20 and 20. Uh, That's 20 men's teams, 20 women's teams. It's usually not a huge turnout for this event. Now, I was not prepared for this. I, first off, I didn't, I don't have like, equipment to really play professionally live i've got a pretty high powered amp it's only 40 watts which technically most people are like oh it's high powered because they're using big 100 watt amps when they go to concerts but if you play at a small venue like a bar or just a small venue in general a 40 watt amp won't get drowned out by the drums so it's still very loud um I didn't know if I was going to plug in the PA system when it happened. I found all this out the day of. Mm. I was there like three hours beforehand trying to get this situated. So we ended up just taking my amp and plugging it in on the approach right in front of the foul line. Never played in a big venue or a big space before. The bowling center is 84 lanes. It's the biggest bowling center in the Midwest and one of the biggest ones in the country. Even the largest ones are usually about 80 lanes most. So Stardust is the bowling center in Addison, Illinois, where we played, and we we bowled, um, was the bowling center. Had no clue what we were going to be doing. I was so concerned because on my amp, most amps are done 1 through 10 as like a a notch scale. And it's a little turn on. You can kind of get it in the middle in some spots, you know. I had never played above like a 4 or 5 on this amp. So one, I was concerned if I was gonna blow the speaker on it. (laughs) Two, when I get to like four, I get feedback off of the guitar and it sounds terrible when I'm standing in front of it. So we had like set everything up. The amp was actually facing the pins away from me. I stood behind it. Um, It was really crazy. And I think I got even more nervous as the people started coming in because I was expecting only like a few hundred people for the event. Mm-hmm. Well, we had almost a full house for the tournament, and there were over 1,300 people in the building. Oh. <laughs> I was so nervous because I was like not expecting that many people. Yeah. Uh, we played it, had a couple minor mess ups in there, but I guess you couldn't really tell with it because 
a bunch of people like recorded it. I listened back and I was like, okay, like I hear it, but that's because like I played it. Nobody else would know type thing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was it was pretty crazy. Oh my gosh. So we do we have footage of this? Yeah, it's on my it's well the actual footage of me playing at a tournament, I'd have to find it. I can always send you the link to it. It's on YouTube on one of the Whitewater bowling pages. Mm. The footage of me um playing the national anthem at the case race. I think I have that footage. Somewhere. Oh yeah. <laughs> if I don't have the full footage, I know who does have it. Mm. As well as I've got like a 40, like the 45 seconds or however long Instagram lets you do. Okay. Yeah. We so, got to link it. We got to yeah. link it. So. Oh my gosh. So funny. Who knew? Yeah. Now you're a guitar star <laughs> and a bowler. You yes. know, you, you got both to add to your resume there. Just check that off your bucket list yes. there. <laughs> what a fun experience, though. Wow. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been really fun. Oh, my gosh. I, I like, learned so much about bowling yeah. um, I, that I didn't know, and I think I'm assuming my listeners don't know as much either, so this is going to be really informative, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so thanks again for being on the pod, Andrew. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. All right. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you all next week.